in the previous ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions those who submit their face and the countenance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those who do good and they are excellent in what they do then they are the ones who grasp the handle that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's covenant or the Quran or Islam very firmly and we should also <coughs> make note that uh, it is only to Allah that we will return so our life in this world will be judged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we return to him uh, to the other world the next ayah is reassuring and consoling the Prophet that whoever disbelieves then their disbelief should not put you into despair and should not cause you grief or any kind of sorrow because it is up to the individual uh, whether or not he or she is going to believe in Allah and do good deeds that's not in your hands your responsibility is to simply convey the message and uh, every human being should know that it is towards us only that their place of return is and then we will meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inform them of what they do so Rasulullah has now been exonerated from any kind of repercussions any kind of uh, feelings of uh, failure or loss any kind of uh, rejection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's will and so on Inna Allah alimum bidhat sudur indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows very well those who are the possessors and the owners of hearts and breasts, meaning men. In these ayat, we find that Allah subhanahu wa through his hikmah and through his wisdom, because this surah is about Al-Hakim, the one who is eternally wise, is addressing his prophet, his Nabi, his Rasul, the last Nabi and the last Rasul, that you must observe Allah's hikmah even in Kufr. Even when people reject you, try and see that there is a silver lining. Try and make the most of a bad situation. Because you are not in charge, Allah is in charge. 
and Allah is going to take you through this life no matter what happens to you. So this, as I said, reassuring the Prophet ﷺ that he must remain firm and he must remain dedicated. He is not being given the task to look into the hearts and chests of people and see what they really think and take an x-ray of their minds and their brains so that he knows what he must do to convince them. That was not his task. That is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's prerogative, whether to guide or not to guide. So Allah guides whom he wants to. You may direct and you may show the path and lead the path but you must appreciate that Allah is in charge. And uh, on that note, Allah then says, نُمَتِّعُهُمْ قَلِيلًا Since we are in charge, we will give them the ability to enjoy something in this life for a short while or a little bit. نُمَتِّعُهُمْ That they will have some pleasure, some enjoyment for a short while or a small amount of pleasure. Then Allah says that through his hikmah and through his eternal wisdom, uh, we will then force him or force them towards a very, very heavy punishment. Very ruthless and almost vicious punishment. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's prerogative. It depends on the nature of the person's sin and the nature of the person's denial and rejection and total disregard for uh, the divine will. So in this, you see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing his Rasul, Khatam al Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that there are two paths. One path leads to success in the other world, and the other path leads to doom and failure in the other world. No matter what happens here, in this world it's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But these are the rules. If you believe and you have ihsan, and you do good, and you please uh, Allah, then your path towards salvation and uh, bliss is inshallah set. But if you don't, then the other path through Allah's wisdom and through Allah's justice is also there, and He may do what He wants to get people to where they deserve to be. So this is Al-Hakim, the wise, the eternally wise, and this is the hikmah that all the Anbiya were obligated to believe in, perceive, understand, conceive, and then appreciate, and then propagate and promote and preach. Which is a daunting task, because you don't want to tell people that they're going to fail, and they're literally going to hell, when your objective is to bring people closer to you. It's very different from a salesman. A salesman, he makes a sale, he gets a bonus, he gets a commission, he gets paid. And if he doesn't, then he gets fired himself. Right, so you mustn't treat the Nabi as a, or, or the Rasul as a salesman. That is a very a false analogy. A Nabi, he is genuinely interested in the person he is inviting. And it is very difficult for him to appreciate someone said no to the path of salvation. So the Nabi has to be very resolute and very firm internally that uh, this is Allah's will. Which, as I say, 
is much easier said than done. You need to have nerves of steel and you need to have a lot of grit before you can actually say this. You're trying to get people towards Jannah and then Allah says, say this also. That is kind of almost a paradox. Allah says, bring people closer to me and to Jannah and then he says, if they don't, then they're going that way. One who says, you believe this, and the other says, you say this. So the, the saying part is very difficult. And the Nabi doesn't enjoy saying this. Where nowadays, unfortunately, preachers enjoy saying that. You're going to go to hell. That is not Islamic. What is Islamic is that you don't want to say that. You only say that because that's your aqidah. Okay? And the Nabi says it because that's his nabuwa. So here the Hakim, the one who is wise in the sense of being a human being, will appreciate the sensitivity of how people will see God himself. That you're promoting God, you're promoting the divine, and the divine is telling you to tell them that if you don't believe in the divine, he's going to punish you. That's very difficult for a human being. The Rasul is not a robot. Nor is the Rasul a messenger, meaning an angel. An angel would say this, no problem. The angel has no emotions. The angel's job is to fulfill the responsibility. But you're saying this is somebody who has flesh and blood, somebody who has emotions, someone who cares, someone who feels, and someone who generally makes dua for the person in front of him, that as you are saying this, through the Qur'an you have to say this also. So we must understand the thought process and the emotional roller coaster that a Nabi goes through when he's saying this. And this is the part that the preacher does not appreciate. It's easy for someone to stand in front of people and say that if you believe this, you're going to Jannah, and if you don't believe this, you're going to hell. For the Rasul, it is his greatest mujahada. It is his greatest sacrifice. Because he knows the person in front of him will be his mother, father, brother, sister, husband, wife, not, not husband, wife, uh, child, uh, tribal, uh, relatives, friend, colleague, people he grew up with, people he likes, and everybody else that he knows. And Nabi is not sent to anyone who is alien or foreign to him. Rasulullah was sent to the Arab and he knew the Arab, he knew the Quraysh, he knew the Banu Aus, the Diyos and the Khazraj, he knew these people. So for, for the Rasul, who is Muhammad وسلم, to receive this revelation and then recite this revelation, it's a tall order. It's very difficult. It is Qawlan Thaqila. It is very huge, very heavy and very weighty. Anyway. That's just the, the, the emotional uh, filtering of these ayat, that when we're reading these ayat, and uh, perhaps rightly so, some of you feel uh, these are vicious statements from the Qur'an, then you must see and understand how the Rasul sallallahu went through this. Right? And then you calm down a bit. 
that it doesn't matter how I feel, I have to do what? Propagate, promote, do the tabliq, convey the ayah because Allah's now order, this is wahi, this is revelation from Allah. He believes in it because it is revelation and he must say it because it is revelation. So we, being analogous to the superior human being, uh, must feel the same way. It's not that easy to recite this ayat in front of people who want to believe. Right. So, you know, the, the idea that this is a turn-off should be handled in a, in a very sensible way and not just in a very kind of matter-of-fact way. It is what it is. You can say that too as you're delivering the message, but you, you must internalize the whole process that would you say this to your father? Would you say this to your mother? Would you say this to your son or daughter? If the answer is yes, then you have a problem. You need to see somebody. You're not human. You're just a machine. Yeah. Right? But if the answer is no, then process it. Filter it. Understand what the Rasul goes through when he's reading these ayat to other people. And then say it. Then you'll see it's very difficult. Is very difficult. But that doesn't mean to say you don't say it. Right? As we all know. From the tribes of the Quraysh, uh, of the, the Arab, okay, there were some who believed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of the universe, the heavens and the earth. They believed in the macro okay, uh, creator and they believed in the macro ability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to govern and to administrate and also to create as this ayah is saying. That if you were to ask them who created the heavens and the earth, most certainly indeed they will say Allah and they believe that Allah created the heavens and the earth. Qul alhamdulillah say all praise due to Allah. Bal akhtaruhum la but the truth is, most of them, they don't know. So even though they appreciate Allah is the creator, and he knows the universals, uh, but they deny that Allah is able to micromanage the affairs of the world on a daily basis. And they also deny the, the fact that Allah knows the details of human beings and their actions. This is what this ayah is referring to. So you need a bit of context in the revelation to understand this ayah. The context is that there were people, meaning the polytheists, who said that God created the heavens and the earth, but then he designated other beings made of stone and statues that they made with their own hands to represent his, his forces and powers on earth. So now God doesn't micromanage these deities and false gods, false gods, they manage the daily affairs of people. That's the context of the ayah. Right. If you, if you know this, then the ayah makes perfect sense to you. Likewise, today, uh, many people who believe in God, they don't actually appreciate that God is able to micromanage their daily affairs. Because, you know, this is all, it's my choice. So Allah says, Qul, Alhamdulillah, say, O Muhammad Wasallam, all praise is due to Allah. All praise. Not just the praise of creating the heavens and the earth, but the praise that lies in his ability and knowledge of particulars and details also. 
To that Allah says, بَلْ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ The truth is most of them don't know. They don't know how Allah is able to uh, administer and govern His uh, Amr and their daily affairs and understand and know what they do in detail. So some of the Greeks held this view also that they believe that Allah, God, when He created the heavens and the earth, that was it. Now He lets the heavens and the earth do what it does through a process of nature. Then, unfortunately, some people who were Muslim picked up on this philosophy and then tried to appreciate uh, the Greek philosophy and tried to inculcate the idea, uh, such as one group of the Mu'tazili, who also believed that God does not know the details of human beings' actions uh, when they perform and when they do their deeds and so on. So Allah then says, لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ To Allah alone belongs whatever is in the heavens and the earth. So whatever happens in the heavens, above the heavens, on earth, outside of earth, it belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is in total control of that. Allah owns it. Allah now controls and governs everything. This is the belief that a wise person needs to have. That if you are wise and you are part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's schema of hikmah, then you will believe this is God's prerogative totally. Inna Allah huwa al-ghaniyul hamid. Indeed Allah, He is the one who is the absolutely eternally independent and the one who is absolutely and eternally praiseworthy. That He doesn't need human beings to believe in what He does and what He's capable of doing. But at the same time, He'll continue to do everything that is praiseworthy. And hence, alhamdulillah. All praise is due to Allah. As we have discussed this aqeedah before. Then to drive home this point, that Allah knows all the details, He now reveals this ayah, which is a very prolific ayah. As all the ayat of Allah are prolific, but this in wording is also very prolific. وَلَوَنَّ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ مِنْ شَجَرَةٍ أَقْلَامٌ وَالْبَحْرُ يُمُدُّهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ سَبْعَةُ أَبْحُرٍ مَا نَفِرَتْ كَلِمَاتُ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ That, O Muhammad if everything on earth that is of the tree kind, min shajaratin, that if you see any bush or any tree or anything that has a branch or a twig, that you could make into a pen, a qalamun, if that all became a pen, everything that you found growing from the earth, and you're able to carve it, and cut it, and chip it into a pen, وَالْبَحْرُ يُمُدُّهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ سَبْعَةَ بُحُرٍ And then, if the sea was then to be extended into seven seas and seven oceans, and you started to write with those pens, with that water as ink, مَا نَفِلَتْ كَلِمَاتُ اللَّهِ The words of Allah, the details of Allah's creation, they will not be exhausted. You could not finish writing the kalimat of Allah. Allah's words here refers to Allah's creation. Yeah. So sometimes you must not take the word literally. Here the word kalimat, which means words, means creation. As we know. 
from other ayat of the Quran. So, Al-Quran yufassiru ba'duhu ba'dun. The Quran now explains itself. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us this, this image. And that if, if you could, in your mind, conceive of uh, a lake uh, or a river or a sea or an ocean, and if you could find every pen that was uh, available in the world, and you started to write with that pen and with that water as ink about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation, okay, the pen pens will cease to exist and the water will dry out. But Allah's creation will not in this imagery. So what is now Quran doing? The Quran is opening up our imagination. Who can conceive of such a parable? Not too many human beings. But it's revealed in the Quran. So when a person reads this ayah of the Quran, his imagination has already expanded. So one way the Quran creates your ability to think literally outside of the box is through these uh, revelations. This is a revelation if you were to describe Allah's knowledge on earth, how would you describe it? This is how you describe it. Because only Allah can describe His knowledge. Inna Allah Aziz Hakim, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is wise, as Hakim and Aziz is supreme and He's superior. He's able to do anything and everything at will with the power of His wisdom. When you look at this ayah deeply, you will see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, through his fawl, has given the prophets, alayhim salatu salam, the anbiya and the rasul, and the rasul, all of them, this ability to understand reality through imagery. So you have one reality that is abstract, and you have another reality which is here, in our world, which is concrete. In between the two, there is a bridge called your imagination. So the Prophet is able to draw from both the concrete and the abstract. And the bridge he uses is his imagination. So Allah reveals so that his imagination is able to do that with everything. With everything. Not just these ayah, but everything. So when a Prophet coins an example, he's coining an example of something that's abstract, so that he brings it down to reality in concrete terms, where a lay person is able to understand the abstract which only a Nabi can do. A scientist can't do that. A scientist is not able to coin a phrase whereby he's going to enable a common person, a lay person, a Bedouin in the desert, to understand abstract, now details, formulae and equations. They're not that smart. What they lack is the bridge of imagination. They don't have that bridge. That bridge is created by Wahi. Right. E equals mc squared, arguably a brilliant equation, right? How are you going to explain this to a common person? You be my guest. If you find a way, let me know. Right? But that Jannah exists, which is beyond the abstract. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals this ayat, and the Prophet now says and speaks this. Uh, these ayat, and then the believer believes. Now, is the believer being now holier than thou? Is he hallucinating, fantasizing that there's another world beyond the abstract which exists, but that existence is very different from this existence? No. Right. 
So Hadith Qudsi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that if you want to describe Jannah, what is Jannah? Paradise. Where and how is this paradise? So Allah subhanahu wa says, and, uh, reveals the word through wahi into the mind and imagination of the Prophet Then the Prophet then translates that meaning in his own language. That's the meaning of Hadith Qudsi, where Hadith Qudsi is not Wahi that is recited. So he says, I, Allah says, I have prepared for my pious servants that which no eye has seen and no ear has heard and it has never occurred upon the imagination of a human being. That is Jannah. There you go, Peter. How are you going to figure this out? Right. Who who says this? Who's able to coin this phrase? So we say only a Nabi. Because once you say that no eye has seen, that means no human eye in this world is going to see such marvel. And you say no ear has heard, means no one has heard such beauty and charm in this world. And then no one has perceived, conceived, imagined okay, what Jannah can be. So it is beyond imagination and it is beyond description. But the irony is that it's been described. Right? It's been described. How? That you can't fantasize about Jannah, but it does exist. So anyway, these are the kalimat of Allah, the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is one uh, very obvious meaning and understanding of this ayah. That the word kalimat means Allah's creation. And they continue and continue. And you can describe uh, in this world okay, how many people observe how the same reality and phenomenon differently. When you're looking at water, uh, a child sees water and drinks it. When you look at water and somebody who is now in love with Allah's creation sees water as a ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he then describes when a scientist looks at water he sees something different H2O when somebody is writing a textbook on you know chemistry or biology then he sees it very differently and he writes differently. So it doesn't matter who looks at any creation of Allah Human beings, through their imagination, will be able to describe the same phenomenon, the same reality, differently according to their level of observation and their wisdom, their knowledge. Hence, everybody, whoever looks at water, will always see water with a different lens. And people will write about it. And that's how you see that even one creation of Allah, which is water, is going to be described eternally by all human beings. Hence the ayah, مَا نَفِذَتْ كَلِمَاتُ اللَّهِ The words of Allah will never be exhausted. Then you look at trees. To use the two words in this, uh, in this ayah. Bahar obviously refers to the water. And the word trees uh, from the word shajara. Uh, so you live in this world and you see trees all around you. And you think of trees. And you describe them. And you look at them. 
and then people study them. And you create gardens, and you do research into trees, and so on. So, within the human context, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, look at yourselves, that when you describe two creation of mine, one is the shajara, and the other is the bahar, you will not cease to describe these two. Continuously. Throughout your time on earth, you will always be describing shajara, and you'll always be describing the bahar, or the water in the bahar, and that is a proof that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never cease to exist through your own actions, through your own statements, through your own observation, and so on. In Allah Aziz Hakim. Then you look at the number of trees Allah has created, and the amount of water Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. Then you go on to, on to your, uh, your wavelength of imagination and see how this tree will be there in Jannah and how this water will be there. In Jannah, then you start to look at the ayat of the Quran and say, Allah says that there will be Jannat in Tajri min al Anhar, orchards and gardens. What do you have in gardens? You have trees. Underneath which water will flow. Anhar, rivers. What do you have in rivers? Water. Right. You make the link from this world to the other world. Now, who does this? The Nabi does this for you. The Rasul does this for you. The Sahaba who understood the Rasul and the Nabi and Wahi from the Rasul, they do this so they appreciate that what's here is a reflection of what's there. If it's a ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you make the statement, Alhamdulillah. All praise due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What I'm saying is that ayat like this one opens up your imagination to another reality. Another dimension that is called the dimension of Jannah. The dimension of Jannah, which is beyond the abstract. Why do we say it's beyond the abstract? Because it's going to come after you die. You can't imagine Jannah here in this world. It doesn't exist here. Or within this universe because it doesn't exist within the universe. You have to wait until you die to be there. And when you're there, you'll see. And perceive. And you will now see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's kalima, shajara, will continue to exist forever in Jannah. Is that true? So the word shajara will be where? In Jannah also. So the word bahar and anhar and ma will be where? In Jannah also. Ma nafidat kalimatullah. Allah's kalimat will never cease to exist. So, Rasulullah sallallahu then made it much easier for us. What did he say? He said that when a believer says subhanallah on earth, what happens? A tree grows in Jannah. A tree grows in Jannah. Then he said, how tall will that tree be? He said, if a mount, somebody riding a horse, is to travel 500 years in the shade of this tree, he will not be outside of the shade. That happens when you create your words. Kalimat means words. Words are spoken, not thought. They're thought, then they're either written or spoken. So we prefer the spoken because the Prophet is the Al-Nabiyul Ummi, the unlettered Nabi who doesn't write. So the oral tradition. So when you say Subhanallah, you say it once, what happens? Your words create. What does it create? A shajara. 
It creates what? A tree. Who said so? The Nabi. So the Nabi opens and expands your imagination all the way from here to Jannah. And then one very simple formula. Now, you can't beat that. You can't beat that creativity. Right? So what do you do? You join it. You have to submit. He is the Rasul, period. End of discussion. So you don't fight with him. You don't debate with him. You don't reject him. You don't deny him. You don't argue with him. You don't contest anything he says. He is the Rasul of Allah, period. Why? Because he's probably a billion times smarter than you ever be. Now, can any scientist do this? No. Why? Because they don't believe in Jannah. Ultimately, they end up as atheists. Unfortunately. Allah give us all guidance and tawfiq. So, the, the fact that a Bedouin Arab is able to believe in Jannah, where? In the desert. Where there are no trees and no water. Whose mojiza is that? That is the Nabi's mojiza. That in the desert, right, the Nabi is selling the idea that there's a place where there's abundant water and abundant amount of trees. And you come again. What are you saying? This ayah speaks volumes about a Nabi's, a Nabi's ability to understand, uh, perceive the abstract, and then relay that theory, which is a nakhira, in terms of words that a simple human being is able to understand and then believe in. That is the gift of Nabuwa, uh, which is a mu'jiza from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the manifestation of Inna Allah Azizun Allah is supreme, he's mighty, he's powerful, he's able to do whatever he wants, but Hakim through his wisdom. Right? So that the ability to inform yeah. at will is a huge, huge power. You know everything about the media? What's their ability? They tell you what's happening and they tell you how the world should look like. That's power, right? Do they have hikmah? No. They don't have hikmah. Why? They don't believe in Nabuwa. They don't believe in the Rasul. They believe in, in the nafs and the shaitan. So, a Rasul's ability to empower others with his words, kalimat, comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's statement here that Allah's kalimat, words, will never cease to exist no matter how much detail you conceive, perceive, and write, and speak, and express. It is eternal. It is unlimited. And it will continue ad infinitum. Until the Day of Judgment, after the Day of Judgment, in Jannah, and in the other place also. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hikmah. His eternal wisdom that he reveals to whom? A Nabi. Which Nabi? A Nabi al-Ummi. The one who never read and never wrote. In Allah Azizun, He is supreme. Hakim, He is wise. So these ayat depict the mind and the imagination of a Nabi. So you must understand these two represent the brilliance of a Nabi since Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created them 
to receive his word, which is the Quran, which is Wahi, which is the Torah, the Zabur, the Injil, and now in front of us the Quran and the Furqan. So we must appreciate that when this ayah comes to the Nabi Muhammad sallam, how is he seeing this? How is he speaking this? He's speaking this with the understanding that this ayah has a representation in Jannah. Just as it has a representation here on earth. So you link the two together. When you link the two together, you have now an appreciation for the abstract and also for the concrete. Everything in between is real. Whether it's the abstract, whether it's a Nabi's imagination, whether it's the concrete application of that here on earth, everything that a Nabi has is haq, is the truth. And this is how we see Rasulullah sallallahu engaging in this ayah as a testimony to this ayah that Allah's words and creation both will always continue. That's just who he is. May Allah subhanahu wa guide us and give us a tawfiq to benefit from the Qur'an and give us a tawfiq to inshallah act upon the Qur'an. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Sallallahu ta'ala ala khayla khilfi Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi 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 wa